welcome to X-Rated Movies. This is a podcast by two guys that used to date, and now they don't. Now we talk about movies. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Whedon. I'm the other one of your hosts, Matthew Fisher. And in our continuing coverage of Guest Fest 2019, we have the lovely Darren Dews here with us. Hello. <laughs> don't worry, there's applause in post. So. <laughs> I've got walk-on music there and everything. There better so. be. <laughs> Uh, Darren is actually a person that we've had on before, but nobody knows. Because it <laughs> yeah, why don't you tell them what happened? Right? <laughs> uh, so Darren <laughs> came on for an episode that we recorded about the 2019 Oscars. And uh, unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond my control, I was unable to get it out in time and felt that we would just... Uh, shelve it and uh have him on at a later date there was a tiny little part of me that thought i was like oh my god it was so bad that oh, yeah. like made up an <laughs> excuse i just ran out of time and i didn't i didn't want to release it after the oscars had already happened yeah because i felt like that was weird and we were, t- we were like speculating on things and it's like oh if you already know the answer like what does it matter but Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to just uh, 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 allay your fears right now that it uh, the quality that you gave us had nothing to do as to why it didn't air. It was good, so much fun to like record and like throw stuff at you, and we will have you back to talk about those things again. Oh yeah, you're coming on for Oscars next year. Okay, yeah, fine. we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> plan ahead, do it a little bit more thought out, a little bit more scheduled than last time, but. Yeah. It was so much fun that we're just like, well, you know, because I didn't air, we got to have them back. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very gracious of you to return. Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do feel it was a little far to spray paint horror on my window like you did. Well, <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs> but when you were on, on this mystery Lost episode, uh, there was a story that you told that I really enjoyed about uh, going to go see the piano. In the theater. Oh, do you want me to tell it again? If you want to. Sorry, was that like the little segue <laughs> in? I'm prompting you. Okay, so the, my Oscar obsession, because for anyone who knows me, they, they, they're like, oh my God, this story again. But <laughs> I watched Anna Paquin win the Academy Award when I was, we're the same age, so I was 11. The Oscar goes to Anna Paquin, the piano. <laughs> So I watched her win, and it really, like, I don't know, it just it affected me. I'd always knew what the Academy Awards were. Like, my parents watched it. It was never, like, what what is this award show thing we're watching? So I, I saw her win, and it, I just got so excited as a kid. And my parents saw me. Like, I was, like, jumping up and down on the couch. And my parents were like, well, gosh, like... Was it because she was your age? Yeah, oh yeah, okay. because she was my age. Because I hadn't seen the movie, mm-hmm. and my parents decided, like, oh, you know, Darren is really affected by this. Why don't we go take him <laughs> to the movie theater and have him watch the piano? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I went with my sister Allison and my mom and <laughs> my mom and dad. I'm just like a parent being like. What does every 11-year-old boy want to see? <laughs> Harvey Keitel's penis. <laughs> well, and then so I, um, we watched it, and it from the very moment it started, we went to the Landmark Theater in Hillcrest in, in San Diego, which is like the uptown, like, landmark 
independent cinema place in San Diego. And, and I, I, I sat down, I still remember when it started and I had to be dramatic, but like kind of my life changed a little bit. I really started watching movies differently. It was so intense, but I like strangely in my own way, really understood the intensity of it and was very, um, like I wasn't judgmental about it. I, I remember thinking like, oh, this is what erotic means, you know, like Mm -hmm. eroticism for women is seeing men clean. Uh Yeah, yeah, exactly. And my sister was so horribly embarrassed by this. And she must have been 16, 17. So she was like almost at a worse age than I was to see it because she was like with her parents and her little brother. So she got up and left. (laughs) She left the movie theater and my mother was like trying to like cover my eyes so I wouldn't see a penis and then yelling to my sister like, where are you going? And and meanwhile, I was just like transfixed. And then we were done with the movie theater and my mother and father like made a big sigh and we're like, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And like that Christmas, I wanted the cassette tape to the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I played it so much, I had to get a new one. It's a Michael Nyman score? Michael Nyman, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which was not nominated for an Academy Award. Really? Oh, interesting. Oh. Yeah. Strangely. Has he won one yet? Oh, boy, I feel like he must have, but I don't Michael know. Michael Nyman? I turn to you? Yeah. No. He's <laughs> no. never won one. Oh, that's too bad. I liked The Hours. He did The Hours, didn't he? That's, uh, that's Philip Glass. Oh, you're Glass. right, you're right, you're right. But I don't know. I, I think Michael Nyman's secure in just being his Alexander McQueen muse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like he did the music to like every one of his runway shows or like five of his big runway shows. Oh, or okay. something. And sadly, he's passed away. When he did that happen? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Now I feel bad. We, I might need to check that. I think he did. Hold oh, please. Oh boy. Hold, please. I'm sorry. Fact check. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, he's still alive. Oh, Michael, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a gap between when we're recording this and when it comes out. So maybe, maybe in the next oh, couple yeah. weeks. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. That's my little intro to the, to my love of the Academy Awards. Well, yeah, because I think we thought we, you were going to pick the piano for coming on here for a normal episode. It was on the table. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe neck. I maybe we'll down the road. I okay. felt like so much pressure. Oh, I'm sorry. Was it because <laughs> no, no, n- not not on picking a movie, but oh. like picking like the piano, and then I was like, oh, I haven't seen it in a while. I hope I don't. And then I think if you if you guys said negative things, I think I would have. Oh yeah, that'd be. I, yeah, I understand. Was, like it was like oddly like I don't want them to like too personal. Yeah, you don't want us to like fight about it or. Yeah, but yeah. that's like the. I mean, that's the beauty of a movie, right? Sure. But instead, you went with. I picked Heavenly Creatures by Peter Jackson. I'm so excited that you that you chose this because it's been on my list for ages, and yeah. I'm really. So you'd seen this before. I have seen this before. Okay. I wasn't sure. And uh, it was 
Man, I forgot what a bummer this movie is. <laughs> uh, I know that we've talked about the movie, but I think, uh, Ryan, you brought it up like in the context of true crime. Oh, yeah. Like there's like an actual like mental disorder that like specifically like young lesbians like get sucked into like a sort of psychoses, like group psychoses. They used to call it folie à deux, but now they've turned it into shared delusional disorder. Okay. So, And I think we <gasps> talked about the movie in the context of that disorder. Yeah. But I didn't remember if you'd actually seen it or not. So when I was loaning you the Blu-ray, I was like, Ryan's in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I saw I saw it because, okay, so, you know, let's go back to all of us at like 13, 14, 12, whatever. I got a cassette tape for Christmas that had classical music from movies at the time in it. And one of those was the humming chorus that's that, that they play at the end of this movie when they're walking in the park. And I just, you know, it says like the piece of music and then the movie it's from. So Heavenly Creatures was just always in my head. Mm. And then I think like somewhere, I don't know, 15 years ago, I was just like, oh, Heavenly Creatures, I should see that movie. Not knowing it was a Peter Jackson, not knowing anything about it, just being like, I should see that movie. I've heard it's good. And popped it in. And was just like blown away. I mean, the opening scene. Opening scene oh. is, I think, yeah, fantastic. I remember that running, screaming, just being like, "What? Uh, what am I in for?" The, the the amount of screaming is one of the things that I always remember from this. That and like the clay people. Yeah. This is my third time watching it. Every time I go into this, or, or this time and last time, I'm always like. Is this as lesbianic as I, I think it is? I don't remember there being actually that much lesbian stuff in there. And then I watch, I'm like, no, it's it's deeply lesbianic. Mm-hmm. See, isn't that funny? I didn't really get as much lesbian this time around. Mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, they're just young girls that are like in this crazy fantasy life that they're like, trying to avoid their real life and they're just and they see a kinship with each other and they're just they're they're falling in love with like the idea of falling in love Mm. i don't know they're so enamored with romance like kate winslet's always saying like it's all frightfully romantic and things like that yeah like when they do actually near the end when they do have a sex scene they say it's like them in their role play yes like, like, yeah we are enacting each of these actors and how they would make love to and us. i think that so. i missed that the f- other times i remember I, I didn't remember that yeah how many times have you seen this darren i think i've seen it like three or four times this may okay. be my fourth time okay, okay 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 but i hadn't seen it for a long time I saw it right when it came out on video. And Guys, I went from the piano to Heavenly Creatures. <laughs> all in one. You, you have a type. <laughs> <laughs> he made this movie right after uh, Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is crazy to me. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's definitely horror elements in the movie sure. without actually being a horror movie. Yeah. I just realized that the piano and Heavenly Creatures both take place in New Zealand. <gasps> You're right. Oh. You really have a you type. Got a pie- <laughs> got a, yeah. <laughs> Got to meet a New Zealand man. <laughs> New well, Peter Zealand. Jackson, you know. Horny <laughs> for Kiwi. <laughs> Except Peter Jackson is, uh, I hate being shallow like this, not a classically attractive man. <laughs> I mean, he plays like the hobo that they kiss in That's this. That's what I thought. I yeah. thought it was him. Huh. Yeah, it's it, it, like, it hints at horror, but there's no actual like real horror elements in the movie. Yeah. And I mean, this is my favorite Peter Jackson 
Movie. Oh, me too. Yeah, definitely. Like Hobbits ruined him forever for me. But even like in this movie, it's almost like he can't help but kind of over direct in a way. And I, but I, I almost like it because it adds to the sort of like madness with the camera constantly swooping uh-huh. around and running. You like it's almost like too much. But like their relationship is also kind of too much. So it works. And for me. I love that there is moments where. I was really annoyed with them together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're always touching and laughing and like doing that like kid thing where it's it's all a little overdone. Like they have to like sell it to the rest of the world. Like, yeah, like we're having we're having such a great time. We're gonna laugh down the street. And it's like oh god. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought that that added to the complexity of that relationship. Yeah. Well, they were both so isolated and, like, had their, you know, sicknesses growing up. So they mm-hmm. bond over that. And it sounds like they both felt, like, alone a lot. So to find somebody that also f- feels similar to you, that you finally feel like you found somebody who f- who's like you. Yeah. Like, you just want to latch on. And, and they sort of go. They complement each other. Like, uh, Pauline's, like, kind of reserved and shy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, what's Kate Winslet's character's name? Juliet. 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 She's very outspoken and, and uh, precocious, even. Like, she's very smart. You know, she knows French better than the teacher. Excuse me, Miss Waller, you've made a mistake. She's not afraid to speak her mind. Mm-hmm. You don't need to apologize, Miss Waller. I found it frightfully difficult myself until I got the hang of it. So it's like Pauline, like, kind of finds someone who can, like... <laughs> the only phrase I can think of is fill her void. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know... Be sort of like the voice that like she's too shy to have for yeah. herself and you know that's sort of like you know what a, a romantic partner can be like sure you know fill in where your shortcomings are and it definitely made me feel what it was like to be a kid like i imagine myself like oh god could i have done that and i, mean, I don't think i could have but I don't know if the the actresses are actually the ages of the people that they're playing, but they look young. Yeah, especially yeah. Pauline. <laughs> yeah, like she really looks like fourteen. Yeah. Can we just say how good they both are? Oh, oh my, god. my god! Yeah, great like, performances. So good. Oh, just completely convincing. Like, That's oh that scene um, when they're telling Kate Winslet that they're going to have to move her to South Africa and they're getting divorced. I'm leaving you in South Africa with Auntie Ina. That chest of yours isn't getting any better. A warmer climate is just what you need. For the good of your health. And just, they. So good. And like Kate Winslet's so big in it. Like she's, like her, her energy is just like, you can't, she, like she can't be contained. And then there's like Frumpster in the corner who's so good. (laughs) Yeah. She apparently she's like uh, that actress. I'm afraid I don't know her name. Melanie um, Linsky. Sure. Let's go with Linsky. Let's go with that. All right. Apparently Mel- she's like still working. She's doing all sorts mm-hmm. of like American independent cinema. Like oh. she's a big deal. So. Yeah. Oh. So she was on Two and a Half Men for years. Yeah. As really. The stalker. What? <laughs> yeah. She was Charlie Sheen's stalker. Whoa. I told them that you'd help me if I needed it. I mean. You're the first guy I've ever met who hasn't cared about my money, who slept with me because he was drunk, not because I was rich. Apparently she's, yeah, she's getting lots of work and she's had like a 
huge uh, renaissance as like an uh, indie film actress in like the last mm-hmm. eight years or so too. So oh, she's yeah, yeah, she's working. She's doing it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Two and a Half Men. I'm sure it paid very well. Yeah. And what did uh, Christopher Lee say? He's like, you know, as an actor, you're gonna have to be in bad things. The key is to just not be bad in them. Mm, there you go. Oh, that's good. It doesn't seem like Kate Winslet went on to do anything else. (laughs) (laughs) No name actress. (laughs) Where would she do it now? (laughs) I love the choice of the clay, like the imaginary world that is slowly created. Just the simple choice of having them still be clay. Mm -hmm. I think is just like shows kind of like the a little crazy element to it. I was thinking about it this time where if you're trying to show like an imagined world versus the real world, film is so good for doing that. Yeah. Like it's really easy to just be show one thing and then, you know, there's clay people and like as an audience member, you just go along with it knowing that like, oh, this is their imaginary world. Like it just, it works really well. Yeah. And I don't understand those clay costumes. Oh my god, what what how did those work? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it while watching it I was like the clay costumes leave such a bigger impact on me cuz the first time I watched this was probably 2006 or 7 and then I didn't watch it again for like 10 years, but what I remembered from it was the clay like people. Mm-hmm. And there's not really that much to the costumes. They're not like that crazy outlandish, but it's like the way they move, like the Mario Lanza one that's singing right. mm-hmm. is so impactful. Yeah. Of just like what like seeing like his mouth like, you know, not actually have a mouth hole. Like right. just an indentation area. But he's still singing like and it's just like these are all just like kinda I don't want to say cheap because that has like negative connotations to it. But like these are all like cost effective things that like most movies can do like most movies have like a budget for costumes mm-hmm. and like it's not like he's doing some sort of magic trick with them but it creates such a memorable portion of the movie yeah, so good and i mean there's digital effects in here too yeah they're they're not sparing great, but, but when he's like sliced in half yeah the one that's cut in half yeah but, oh boy <laughs> oh i was thinking of when like the background morphs when it finally oh. they go to the fourth world yes. finally. yeah it's very early 90s cg mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh you know 10 years later there was lord of the rings so yeah yeah gotta start somewhere i guess yeah i mean the movie just uh, it's it's like that sweet spot that like it was right before he got really popular like, the movie made after this was, like, The Frighteners. Mm. I think with... this is the movie that put him on the map, right? Because he was nominated for an Academy Award. Original screenplay. Yeah. Really? With Fran Walsh, his wife. Did they win oh. it? No. Who won that year? Uh, a film called Pulp Fiction. Oh! <laughs> I've heard of that. It's a little Matthew, indie one, like right? that? <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully, <laughs> beautiful. All right, so I, I have sort of a big question. So, all right, there are two young girls. They commit a murder. They they the the they murder the Pauline's mother. Yes, and there's a disorder for this thing. It's so common that like that women get sucked into their own worlds. <laughs> and commit murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, shared delusional disorder. Shared delusional disorder. 
Do you think that shared delusional disorder is a byproduct of repression? Like, if these two girls had just been allowed to be, like, little lezzy 14-year-olds and, like, without judgment, do you think the murder still would have happened? Or does the shared delusional disorder just manifest itself no matter what and become violent? Well, from what I've read, and this is all Wikipedia talking, so take it with a grain of salt, it is born oftentimes out of isolation. Mm -hmm. And so both of them were obviously isolated. And usually it's one is more dominating over the other. Like one has the delusions and then like forces them on the other. And in this movie, it makes it sound like Juliet. Juliet is kind of putting it on Pauline. But it's funny because Pauline's the one who's like wants to commit the murder. And I kind of feel like Pauline is the more, she's the aggressor in it. Oh, yeah? Because Juliet is in so much seclusion. I mean, think about it. She's in, when she's sick with tuberculosis, she has to be in quarantine for four years. Months. Four months. Well, but yeah, when she was a kid, it was years in the yeah. Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, really think about that. That is like a really long time for a young person to be by themselves with no family who's abroad and then no friends. And I feel like I really got the sense of Juliet needed Pauline much more. Well, what I read also is that uh, Juliet, when they were separated, would have deeper depressive episodes than Pauline. So, Mm. yeah, that's probably true. And I watched the Ann Perry interiors documentary i don't know what that is talk 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 (laughs) so ann perry is juliet character she changed her name oh so perry was the stepfather that was his last name so she took the name perry and got a really generic name ann and when the movie came out there'd always been rumors that she was juliet humes but because they only spent five years in prison. Yeah, five years each. Yeah. Because they're too young for the death penalty right. in New Zealand, but they had to do something because they were only 15 when they yeah. committed this crime. So so Anne Perry, let's call her Anne Perry, became a really successful novelist who did a lot of mysteries. Really? And mm-hmm. like, like, she didn't write hundreds of books, but it's like one of those where it's like a whole bookshelf of books. Okay. And she moved to Scotland and she had this very successful career. And then the movie came out and, you know, she was kind of outed as this young girl who did this. And so the documentary, I think it was in uh, 2009, it came out. And it's on Amazon. Okay. I'm not getting any money from this, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But you can watch it and it's... At first, I was like, oh, my God, this is so boring. <laughs> like, what a boring documentary. And by the end, I, like, was crying. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. okay. Because okay. it really paces itself in a very slow way, but it's really showing that she's in absolute seclusion. Like, she's by herself. She's with, like, um, her brother, who I don't think is in the movie. Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. What's up? Something you wouldn't understand. He's 10 when this all happened. Okay. okay. And so he's kind of like a, like helps like edit her work. She does everything by hand and she has a typist, you know, who reads her writing and writes it down or types it down. And 
then she has a best friend that lives across the street from her. And she lives like kind of in this like rural area in Scotland. And I just found it really sad. And by the very, very, very end of the movie, she finally talks about what actually happened. And she just talks about how she knew it was so stupid. And she knew she was going to get caught. Well, during like the, the finale, when... Oh, it's, yeah, she has misgivings. Yeah, you can see in her face that like her heart's not in it, but it's like, you can almost like see in her eyes, it's like, well it's too late to go back. Like we've crossed the line. We have to just finish this. But I guess that does sort of play in that like Pauline's like secretly the dominant one. Yeah. Cause it's like, it was sort of all maybe make believe to Juliet. And then we get there like, or Pauline's the one that does the first hit and she like tires out, I guess. (laughs) And there's that like beautiful scene where she grabs the brick from behind the shed. Oh, yeah. And then she says goodbye to her mother. And she says goodbye in such a way that it's, she's saying to her mother, I know I'm going to get caught. Mm. And for me, it was like, I this is the end of this. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, like, I love my mother. Yeah. So, like, why doesn't Pauline feel this way? And anyone who should hate their parents, I think it's Juliet, you know, who yeah. leave her. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, also, Juliet's parents kind of just leave her alone. Like, the dad kind of, like, inserts his, like, opinion or his yeah. two cents on it. But he does it, like, through Pauline's parents. Like, he goes to the parents. Yeah. And then, like, Pauline's mother is, like, the one who then has to, like, lay down the law or, like, take Pauline to a psychiatrist. Yeah. And... Pauline seeing all these negative repercussions because of their relationship. Juliet's not as much. And she even says in the documentary, she couldn't go to her parents. She, she her parents weren't there for her. Yeah. Mm. So they left she, her for four months. She couldn't go to, she goes, I couldn't go to my parents. I couldn't go to my brother. He was only 10. And she's like, all I had was this friend who I thought and I, she's like, I know it's, I know it's stupid, but I thought she was going to die if I didn't help her do this. Hmm. And she's like, I know that that's ridiculous, but I was just in the throes of it all. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. And then she's like, I knew we were going to get caught. Hmm. I knew it. It's just shared delusion. Yeah. Like believing, because then, yeah, they're like, their plan was to kill her, move to South Africa, and then they were going to get discovered for their work. Yeah. In New York and then act in Hollywood. And it's like, honey, no, that's never going to happen. And even when, like, it wasn't like they were going to go bury the body in the park. Yeah. Yeah. You I th- know? I think they wanted it to look like an accident. Like, yeah. she fell yeah. Her yeah. Head or something. Uh, you know, they're like, thousands of people die every day. Like, we just yeah. need to make it look like one of those. And although getting hit on the back of the head with a brick. No. Well, they th- apparently they thought it was just going to, that's all it was going to take. They had to hit her 20 times. Oh, oh my God. Can, oh, can we just talk for a second about how excruciating the final 20 minutes of this movie are? Like, you know it's coming because it starts off that way and you know it's based on a true story and you know what the true story is, but, oh, it takes forever. Isn't it good? <laughs> it's so good. But, like, like, and they when they go to the tea shop and, like, the mom's 
Like, oh, I don't want the last uh, tea cake on, or whatever. Go on, treat yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> treat yourself. It's like, oh, come on. And then it takes forever. They do the whole fucking humming chorus from M. Butterfly. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, just, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not like any, and it's not even like uh, uh, a catharsis at the end because it's so sad. Yeah. Because the mom, I noticed this time, the the mom's face is in the movie a lot. Like you get extreme close-ups of her face. Yeah. So it like really drives home the humanity of her character. Yeah. yeah. And so you know the whole time that she's just going to get bludgeoned to death. The first time I watched it, I didn't realize that it was the mother that died because the opening scene is like the two girls screaming and like they have blood on them, but it's not, I don't think it's made explicit that it's the mother. Well, just if you go in knowing that this is based on that, like if you were a New Zealander, you would know. When I, the first time I watched it, I didn't realize it was based on a true story. Like Mm -hmm. I only watched it because it was like Peter Jackson and I, you know, watched Dead Alive and, uh. You know, and I was like, and this is the movie he made right after it. So that, like, that was the only reason why I watched it. I didn't know anything about the yeah. actual, like, true crime behind it. I didn't either the first time I saw it, but like this time going in. Oh, okay, yeah. And so, like, in my mind, I always like while watching the movie the first time, I was like, they must kill like a classmate or something like that. Like, it didn't occur to me really up until like the last twenty minutes. It's like, oh no, they're planning to kill the mother. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's and it's like that mother. Like, she's just doing her best. I know. I know. She did not deserve what she got. So, all right, to go back to my big question, it's like, if they were just... Because part of it is, like, they're, they're the, the parents trying to separate them. And the idea is, like, you know, in that last 20 minutes, like, they're allowed to, like, be together for this, like, last month or something before being separated for good. Mm-hmm. I personally feel that if there wasn't sort of this institutional homophobia... And if they were just allowed to, like, be lesbians, even if it's just for a phase or just this one time, that there wouldn't have been this unintended consequence of murder? Well, I don't know, because it seems like there's a deeper delusion going on. I don't know if it would lead to murder, necessarily, but I don't know if, like, leaving them alone is the best option either. Mm -hmm. For me, I think it's just because, like, I don't even think the girls knew what lesbians were. Like, they didn't understand these emotions that they were having sure. towards one another, and they were made to feel, like, bad or weird or evil because of it. And, you know, if they knew, well, then there's, like, the the pedophile lodger that uh, Pauline's parents take in, who's, like, clearly, like, in his deep 20s, yeah. at the very least. Yeah. And cool. Pauline looks, like... <laughs> 14 and is like telling her that he loves her and like the sex scene where she just imagines Juliet and stuff like that. I almost feel like there was like homosexual education. Then she'd be like, no, I'm not into this. And I mean, that's an element of this movie that I didn't think about too much until this time, but like it fucked people up in that time period to be like homosexuality is wrong. So like if they were feeling these feelings and to be told like, and they can, like, when the dad comes over to them and t- try, tries to talk about, like, I think we might have lesbian daughters, and he can barely, like, spit the words out. He says, like, your daughter appears to have formed a rather unwholesome attachment to Juliet. And things like that. Yeah. Like, people just couldn't even talk about it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe if they would have been freer to just sort of explore it, maybe it wouldn't have turned into some kind of psychosis. Maybe it would have been like, you two have your fun imagining your world. And you just saw how fucked up the psychologist was in it. And yeah. you're like, oh my God, if this was now... It, it would be such a more productive session of like talking to a child about what's going on and what do you like, you know, draw a picture of this imaginary person you're seeing and yeah. you know, this romance that you have in your head and like would been so much more gentle. You know, that psychologist doesn't have a, a therapist of his no. own. <laughs> <laughs> Good actor though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kind of on that note, I'd forgotten about this, but I really like how Pauline imagines people dying throughout the movie like that yeah kind of made me smile a lot because <laughs> they're kind of funny like when the parent like when the mom chokes at the dinner table oh and yeah then the dad yeah, yeah. like reaches, reaches across like, oh, and falls oh, on oh. the knife like that you know of, and that, the rest of the family's unperturbed yeah, by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but that is i it's not funny i didn't really like see that as maybe a little more fucked up oh yeah because i thought it was just like kind of fun and silly but now that we're talking about it well and see okay so then maybe this goes back to what you were saying matt because like She's often picturing the son, the murderous prince of Barovia or whatever, as the yeah. one who's always doing all the killing. And they act out the scene where they like birth him. So like maybe like that's mm. the killing aspect is birthed from their togetherness. I like it. Very I like it. Good. Yeah. Thank you. I like that. I like that. Nice. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, no, good read there. And the whole Orson Welles part. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. How, which I mean, I'm not going to say Orson Welles is a looker, but <laughs> to go as far to say that he's like the most hideous man alive, I think is a bit of a stretch. But then when she's like, "He's hideous," yeah. and I love it or whatever, I'm like, <laughs> I have never in my life seen anything in the same category of hideousness. But I adore him. I liked how they made him look black and white while they look. Yeah. Really yeah I mean, that's I amazing. That, that, that was, was so good. That was like Pleasantville, early Pleasantville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just, it, I don't know. It, it's odd to think that like Orson Welles is like a weird villain in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, that scene, like after they see the third man and it's like the, even the scene has like a zither score the way the third man did. And yeah, they're running away from this like black and white phantom uh yeah that, that was a lot of fun i like that one i like it too because they're scared but then like when they finally get rid of him they're laughing yeah so it's like were they just when that's playing when they have... being scared or yeah yeah oh i think so right mm-hmm. i mean i used to do that as a kid yeah like For... play being scared you know of nothing yeah kind of sure yeah I've done that. Too, i'd always yeah. do the walk down the hallway like real slow <laughs> Again, I saw the birds way too early. <laughs> I was pretend I was Tippi Hendren going into the room. Yeah, I remember my dad described a segment from the movie Creep Show, like okay. where there's like the creature in a box that like eats people. And I didn't even see the movie, but like him just describing it to me scared the hell out of me because I was like I don't know five or six or something. And my grandparents had like an unfinished basement. They had like a lot of trees on their property, and like whenever the wind would blow, like one of the trees would like hit like the back of like the basement area, <laughs> and like I was always convinced that, and it was only of course on like stormy, windy days. <laughs> but I was like, "There's a, a, a Tasmanian devil back there, or whatever it was that was in Creep Show." But like, 
whatever my dad like described to me, like that's what I envisioned at like the back of their basement. Mm. And then I saw that movie. I'm like, this isn't scary. <laughs> <laughs> also, the um, how all the narration is taken straight from her journals. Mm-hmm. Our main idea for the day was to moider mother. This notion is not a new one, but this time it is a definite plan which we intend to carry out. We have worked it out carefully and are both thrilled by the idea. It's crazy that she would write all that down. That's the first thing that they did is like, apparently the police were, were like, well, they found the body and then they found the murder weapon. And then they're like, well, we should check your house. And they found all that. And they're like, all these like confession journals. It's like, yeah. um. Yeah. What do they say? Like within an hour, they found the diary. Yeah. And like, yeah. like detailed plans on what they wanted to she do. She called it like the day of the happy event. Like, <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Clearly, these people had not watched enough SVU. Yeah. And did not know how to cover their tracks. <laughs> so, where is Pauline now? Do we know? She's still alive, too. Yeah. I think she moved to England. I know it says at the end of this movie that the, like one of the conditions of their release was that they weren't allowed to see each other again. But re- you like to think that they do. Well, I read another thing that said that that was that's not true. So I don't know what to believe on yeah. that. But like. They both live in the pretty close proximity yeah. now. So they're both also deeply religious now. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, Ann Perry's like a big Mormon now. Yeah. Mormon? And, yeah. Oh. Church of She'll Later just believe Days. anything, that one. Well, and all the people that work around her are also Mormon, except for her brother, who's not. Him. Huh. And what was the other thing I want to mention? Oh, it's so funny. She talks about Pauline very little, but she was talking about how she was bulimic, that oh. Pauline was. And she's like, she, I knew she threw up after every meal. You could smell it on her breath. So funny how they portrayed her as, you know. A little thick or a little, little bigger. Yeah. yeah. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, for me, you know, it's like this happened in what was it the late 50s early 60s late 40s late 40s early 50s no wasn't it 55 uh i remember the journal saying 52 53 so maybe it was 55 yeah somewhere there you're right 50s but it's like you know whenever i read like a celebrity biography like you know where it's like someone's been like married like eight times or something like that and it's like yeah they had this like really intense relationship but it actually was only like a year or two of their life so I don't know. I can imagine like Juliet just in some ways thinking that like, yeah, even though like she went to jail for many years, like from the time that she met Pauline to the time that she got out of jail was probably only like seven years, which in like the grand scheme of your life isn't huge. And so I can kind of see her just eager to not think about it or relive it or, or have any desire to, uh, meet up with Pauline again. Like, what would they talk about? What would their Starbucks date be like? <laughs> oh, gosh. Boy, how was prison for you? Yeah. <laughs> when I watch this movie, I kind of feel that the repression of their sexuality is, like, the driving force for the murder. And also, like, the repression of the time of, like, I was thinking about it. I mean, I'm I'm imagining, forgive my, this might be, like, really stupid of me, but I'm imagining New Zealand was part of World War II, correct? That they had troops and they were affected by? Potentially. I mean, they were still part of the United Kingdom at the time. So I would imagine that in some way, shape, or form, they had to participate. And I I always feel like that time right after the war, 
everyone was trying to rediscover what they were about. Mm -hmm. And just because all of their energy was so focused on the war and they were, everyone was brought together. Women went to work, you know, like people were in factories and saving things and, you know, just everyone was together. And then it was like this 1950s and it was like very consumerism, I feel like. Sure. I mean, definitely in America, because nothing of ours was bombed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then you had these, and in some ways, I don't want to say these were spoiled kids, but they were... Baby boomers are spoiled. We can all say it. <laughs> yeah. I I felt like, man, like, you guys don't have it that rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say that. I mean, I don't know their story, but... Right. But they didn't have, like, the challenge of, like, a Great Depression or something like yeah, that, you know? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's like kids today. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely uh, agree with that. But because of, like, the, the, yeah, the social conservatism, you know, I can only imagine that New Zealand and Australia and England were shared a, a certain sort of... Uh, uh, norm sharing as america in the mm-hmm. 1950s mm-hmm. i've never heard that like the united kingdom was like ahead of the game on social issues or anything like that <laughs> uh you know we watched victim from 1961 yeah and, uh, sodomy was like outright outlawed yeah. at the time yeah. so like I'm assuming Australia and New Zealand were Didn't somewhere Australia the same. Just recently repeal their sodomy laws, like us. Like I think theirs were. Well, they got, they had like marriage equality in like 2014 or something. Right, I feel like but we I think that they had once. sodomy laws for a long time too. Yeah, probably. So. Australia is like England's Texas, so sure. <laughs> and like that. That's where like the 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 Lawrence case that like when the, the uh-huh, sodomy case uh-huh. from sure. Supreme Court. <laughs> Lawrence versus Texas, right? Yeah. How brave is it to be like, yeah, I had butt sex in a hotel room. Well, like the whole United States needs to hear about it. Good for mean, you guys. <laughs> I'm proud of him. <laughs> I have a big point I want to talk about real fast. Can yeah, we, can yeah, I yeah, just, yeah. Uh, swerve violently. So I noticed this time watching, and this confused me the first time I watched it, but it made sense this time, is like the amount of times that these characters' names change is i think pivotal because like pauline gets called yvonne by her mom her she middle gets name called whatever their barovian princess character's name is and by, then gina right by gina, gina. Yeah, yeah gina that's it and then at i realized at the very beginning of the movie when they introduce each other they're in french class and in french class they get to choose their own name sure so i think there is something to that being uh like we don't have to be who we are we can be anything we want to be but then like with the mom like calling her the name that she doesn't want to be called like dead naming there's, her yeah there's like a, a pull in that direction too where it's like well we can call you whatever we want to call you as well and like juliet her french name is uh antoinette antoinette yeah and it's like my could you pick a more oblivious person right to what's going on in the world right mm, so that's a good point i just i don't know i just think of like the idea of, you know, your name is such an identity of who you are and to like change it so frequently can like really disrupt your core and like, especially in adolescence where you're like discovering that, you know, I don't know. I was just trying to pin that down that I, and I don't want to like make it sound like people that change their name in adolescence or want to change their name or have like mental disorders or anything like that. But I just think that like 
There is I think something. we could go there. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is something to say for, you know, like not having that solidity during that period of time. One thing, you know, this is my third time watching it now. One thing I really like about it is that you're not totally unsympathetic to the girls. Right. Yeah. Like you don't view them as villains. No. Really through the movie. Like even at the end, like you know what they're doing is wrong, but you don't categorize them as villains. You almost understand their logic in a way. Like you see how they got from point A to point B and you can see how much they mean to one another. And like the idea of being torn apart is like the end of their worlds. And so when it gets to like the murder scene in the end, it's like, yeah, you know, it's bad. I don't want to say that you sympathize with them. Like you don't think that it's right, but you're not thinking that they need to be punished or that the movies crossed a line or that this is not believable or anything like that. Like there's something about it where you're half with them. And that's such a hard line to walk where, you know, the stars of your movie like do something horrible and you're still kind of half with them. Yeah. They've just been through so much. <laughs> I mean, they really haven't been that. I mean, Juliet like got tuberculosis Juliet. again, but Pauline doesn't. No. Yeah, well, she... I don't know. She does kind of get raped a little bit. I mean, even that's sort of a gray area, though, because like she goes over to his place. Like it's sort of known what's going to happen. <laughs> it's just. Like, just you know. keep digging, Matt. <laughs> keep digging. Yeah, well, yeah she, she gets to the line of scrimmage and she doesn't like it anymore. She doesn't like the call. But, you know, because, like, uh, the dude, like, comes over, like, sneaks into, like, her room, which I know. is outside. He's so pathetic about it, too. Yeah, he's a, so pathetic. He's a wimp, but. My feet are cold. Can I cuddle with you? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, so he gets kicked out. And, but Sorry, but I really got mad that the. F- I felt like they got mad at her for him coming into yeah. her Yeah. I was like, come on. The dad's like, you broke my heart, Pauline. That's like <laughs> classic, like, slut shaming, like, blaming the woman for this sort of thing. Yeah. The 14 year old girl. Yeah. The mom is so mean after that in the kitchen scene where she's just like, you're nothing but a cheap little tart. Yeah, but Pauline's got a, a one locked and loaded. Oh, yeah. yeah. You ran off with dad when you're only 17. Nana Parker told me. Well, and then, uh, was that the end of the movie where you found out that yeah, they, never they were never married. married? Yeah. So interesting. I wonder why. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that's weird. So they used to, how to use Parker. Yeah. Right, for the last name. Yeah. Again, name, 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 like, name, it's name. It's all names. names. Yeah. And then Juliet changed her name. That's right. Yeah. And she took her stepfather's last name. So is the stepfather the one that like came to like live yes. with them? Like yeah, and they had a little the threesome situation scenario. Yeah, we little... decided to live as a threesome. <laughs> Your father knows about us. Until other arrangements can be made, we've decided to live together as a threesome. Good on her for being yeah, honest. that mom. Like, get it if and you see, can. That mom Smoke them actually, if you got them, but... that mom for all of her kind of faults. She, she was not I, meant to be a mom. She was not, but I felt like she was the most like understanding of what their friendship mean to each other. Well, isn't she the one who's like they need to spend this yeah. last few months together? Yeah. Like I mean she yeah, she's the 
most sympathetic and like rightly so she's the she's a couples counselor right so she oh, should that, yeah understand yeah sort of but then like she like relationships dynamics bangs one of her patients i know unprofessional you know, but like but we all do you know things. she's honest you know? she's being honest with herself she's like honey i've got this new We're, client I'm having a threesome <laughs> And it, like yeah, you good. can hang out in the closet if you want and watch. We're fine. <laughs> we talked about it. I mean, good on her for being honest with her daughter, but it is also like, oh, it's a lot to lay on her. Yeah. Well, I mean, this sort of like I feel like kind of circles back to uh, my question. It's like, you know, conservatives are always like, well, what would we tell our children if we see two women holding hands or something? And it's like, they'll figure it out. It's like, what happens if you don't tell them about this and they are a lesbian and they have to figure it out for themselves? Yeah. I love Juliet's little power play. She's like, don't try and fob me off. It's going to cost you a hundred pounds as I'm blabbing to daddy. I'm like, wow, way to play under pressure. (laughs) (laughs) And I also think that this time watching it, the parents were a lot more... I got a lot more out of the parents than I remember getting out of them in the beginning. Like they're all, all four of them are pretty well written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're trying to make sense of this. Yeah. For secondary characters. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that scene. It was right after Pauline was caught with the lodger in her room and the mother shaming her. But it's one of those scenes where it's just dialogue and, you know, those can, like, suck the, the momentum out of a movie. But it's like they're doing dishes in the kitchen. Pauline's, like, center frame up close to the lens. And the mother is, like, hauling things back and forth. But it's like she would say a line. And then as Pauline was saying the line, she'd move to the other side of the frame and do something. And then say something over there. And then Pauline would say something. She'd move back. And it was just, like, a good way to, like, get your eye to, like, move back and forth mm-hmm. across the screen. And, like, I don't know, it felt like a really jazzy way to to get the dialogue out there and to get the point across. It shows you can be dynamic without moving the camera around a lot. Yeah, it was like all he did was, like, tilt the camera, like, 20 degrees one way or the other. but And, like, the actors were doing all the moving. But, I don't know. it. And, like, the scene is very memorable because it ends with that climax of, like, yeah, Pauline saying, like, I know that you you know, ran away with Dad when you were 17. Yeah. You know, that's not that much older than I am right now. Nana, spilling the secrets. I mean, if the lodger had also been 14, it may not have been such a scandal. But it was the fact that, like, the lodger was, like, clearly an adult. Yeah. Mm. And Pauline looks like, you know, one of the people that Roy Moore picked up outside of a strip mall. <laughs> She's talking about her teachers and when they're in bed together. Yeah. Like a child would, being like, and then this teacher's like this. Yeah. No, girls. It isn't all. It's. <laughs> and she goes, as if someone was jabbing a pin into her. <laughs> Silly old trap. I love you, Yvonne. And that's a turn on for this guy. He's like, oh my God, tell me more about your teachers. Was it a turn on or was it just he was already like past a threshold and <laughs> couldn't stop himself? I don't know. I'm choosing to believe that that was his That was his, that was his turn on, uh-huh. hearing about middle school teachers. Yep. You're not into yucking people's yums these days, Ryan. No. Yeah, that's why I'm embracing it. Like, that's what he's into. So, whatever. Darren, tell me about your middle school teachers. (laughs) I had a great sixth grade teacher. Oh, my God. In retrospect, I'm like, oh, huh. 
I had strange, weird feelings towards that person. Oh, oh really? Like, I was inquisitive of what he did at home. I used to say that those people were cool. Yeah. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> he was cool. Yeah? He used to wear, like, denim shirts with, like, rolled up sleeves with jeans and, like, little loafers. He was real hip. <laughs> what was what, his name? What, what, I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> This was sixth grade, so this is before you had uh, specific teachers for specific topics. Like, this was... Yeah, was this, this is, like, my teacher all day, like, <laughs> every day. Was this before or after you saw the piano? <laughs> How old are you in sixth grade? 13? Like 11? 12, 12 to 13, I think. Right. Sixth grade would have started when I, in 96 for me, so I would, I would have been 11 at the beginning of sixth grade. <gasps> 11... God, I was really going through stuff, you guys. <laughs> My God. I think Heavenly Creatures gets richer with every time I watch it. Like it's it's less shocking, but it's I think the the filmmaking is richer and the characters are richer every time I see this one. And it was definitely sadder this time. Yeah, I was bummed at the end. I was really bummed. like when they're running on the boat and you just like any movie where there's writing at the end where you that always kind of gets me. I don't know why. <laughs> Even if it's happy stuff, you're just kind of like, oh, yeah. Happy is sometimes even worse. Yeah. But I just watched uh, Fosse Verdon. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. Which, if you haven't seen I've it, heard it's, pretty good. It's, it's really well done, I think. And at the end, there's writing on the screen, <laughs> and it really got me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll be hearing from Darren again before, uh, or Thank we'll you, be hearing everybody. from Darren again yeah. before Oscar season. Yeah. We're going to have you on again, if that's okay with you. If you'll accept sub- the invitation. Yes. Yes. He's got a whole other year to memorize now, though. That's before. true. I know. It's the hardest part. Oh, yeah. We didn't even mention that uh, you have uh, an amazing memory for what was nominated each year and what was won. Yeah. Especially the top five, the like picture, uh, director, and acting. Well, if everyone had listened to the podcast <laughs> that was <laughs> not made, it, we went into this thoroughly. So, But yes, if you ask me a year, I will... Hopefully, and most likely, tell you what one. Well, I seem to recall when we recorded this last episode, like <laughs> you, you said something really impressive. Like it was like a category for like some obscure year, and you like nailed it out. And I was just like, "There's got to be a way we can make money off this." <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Do you have any junk you want to plug? Do you have like uh, anything you want people to follow you on? Or um, I'm working tonight. Come and see me. <laughs> I can plug Bait Shop. Why not? Bait Shop on Capitol Hill on Broadway between Roy and Mercer. Frozen cocktails, fish and chips, good tacos. We have new coleslaw. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. Uh, Let's not say where they what they are. Let's just say you can do it. <laughs> We also have an email account and a website. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already know where to, to download the podcast. But if you don't, have fun looking. <laughs> yeah, this is episode 120. 
eight, I think, wow. at this point. So if you haven't heard us say those things, check out a different episode. Not yeah. This is not the one to find out where to follow us on social media. Wow, this is the needlessly contrarian episode. <laughs> anyway, next week. Next week, we got a guest. We're having... Who is it? <laughs> Who is it? 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 Uh, I don't know. Local celeb journalist, all-around media personality uh, in the greater Seattle area, uh, Matt Baum. He, he writes for The Stranger. He's literally written a book about gay marriage or, or gay rights concerning gay marriage. Right. He's got a YouTube channel concerning how gays are depicted mostly on television. He's the host of Dungeons and Drag Queens. Like he, he's got his finger in a lot of pies. And uh, we're going to be talking about <laughs> boys in the band. Oh shit! We have not done enough William Friedkin oh, movies. Oh my god! On... We're not going to quit until we've done all of his movies, are we? <laughs> They're not all winners. <laughs> boys in the band. This is. I mean, this is one that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. But it'll be cool to talk about it with someone who has such like an encyclopedic knowledge of gay rights from like a. a legal and media history cool 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 cool. all right all right well darren thank you for coming on you're always a pleasure you're welcome (laughs) and if you like what darren heard uh stay tuned because oscar season's right around the corner yeah i know tell you right guys tell you (laughs) right it's happening venice you both are great no you're adorable great you're doing great things (laughs) you're changing the world (laughs) um until next time Keep reaching for that rainbow. Bye-bye.